I want to begin by thanking you. Thanking you, the church, for being a part of helping our students get to Fuge on this last week. Uh, we're glad they're home, but I'm so grateful, again, that you bought more lasagna than you could eat. And I'm grateful that you prayed for them throughout this last week. Um, God did some cool stuff in their hearts. And I'm challenging you to double up on the praying this week. Double up on the praying this week that what God spoke into them this last week, that they would be willing to let him finish in them. So I, I really do. I, I want to encourage you to pray for them. Pray for our students. And I'm saying our students because some of them are your biological kids. But those that aren't, they need you to be their family. They need you to be their family. And I'm thanking you for doing that this last week. Welcome today, and I even got out of the intro and I'm already, uh, I, I want to welcome you today, so glad that you're with us wherever you are, glad that we could join together as the church. Um, today's Acts chapter 2, if you're joining us the first time, we're, we're just digging into the, to the book of Acts, we're going to go all the way through it to the end of the year, when I found out that the schedule was going to work, that I got Acts chapter 2, I was celebrating and then I realized if we wanted to, we could break up Acts chapter 2 and preach it the entire year if we wanted to. There's so much stuff in there. And, and so we're going to dig in today. I'm going I'm to go after this perhaps in a way that we haven't done in a while. I don't want us to miss the big picture of what this is. Um, I, got my, I got my old man professor glasses today because even though our students are back, most of us got back at like two, and so some of us are running on a couple. Of, if you see a student asleep, don't hit them. Just gently, just gently touch them, all right? Because we're working on a couple hours sleep, so the eyes are a little wobbly. We're praying that the brain's not wobbly. That's what I'm praying today. What is true today is always true. We always need the Spirit of God to fill those weaknesses in our life. Just some days are more obvious than others, right? We're asking him to do his thing today. Jesus tells his disciples that even though he's going away, there was going to be one who is sent to them, and they're going to be glad. The Spirit of God, the good old King James Version at a place, translates him as the comforter. Remember that? Some of you grew up learning th that term. It's translated as the comforter. Now, when we hear the word comforter in our day, it, it, there's a little bit of us understanding trouble in understanding that word because today, comforter to us means somebody who will wipe our tears away and console us. And while I'm saying that is a part of what God's spirit does, that is not exactly what this word is. That translation, King James translation, that goes back to an, an Elizabethan English uh, uh, translation that's really more connected to the Latin than, than it is in our current day. Here's where I'm going. Comforter, Latin, cum forte. Cum forte. I knew my four years of Latin would pay off someday, all right? That's it. Cum forte. What does it mean? One who will come with strength. That's what it means. Those of you who are musicians, when you, when you see forte, you know it, it, it doesn't mean quiet, right? It means punch. It means, it means force. It, it, it means power. He is not merely a shoulder for us to cry on, but he is the sustainer of our faith, and he is the provider of courage in the darkest of times. Yes, the Holy Spirit brings comfort, but the promise that Jesus made is that one would come with strength. He would come with 
power. So it makes sense to us. We get to Acts chapter 1. Peter gave it to you last week. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive what? Power. That's what he promised. You you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now the disciples are familiar with God's Spirit. Okay, they've, they've read stories. They are familiar with God's Spirit. But the stories that they know from what we call the Old Testament are stories of where the empowerment of the Holy Spirit was selective by God. In other words, when God would call a prophet to do what he calls him to do, God's spirit he would give to that prophet. When, when it, a, a judge, for example, who was called uh, Samson, everybody, right, you know Samson's story. He's the, he's the strong dude, long, long hair. You, you understand it wasn't his hair that gave him strength, but his hair was a sign of a relationship. It's the spirit of God that gave him strength. And so that's the picture we have. Perhaps the most powerful of all in the Old Testament where we see this happen is Moses. And if you consider his job, you consider what he was called to do, his strength wasn't in himself, but the the, the miracles that we see happen under Moses' leadership and just Moses' leadership in and of itself, that was not just Moses, that was the empowering of God's spirit on him. But there was a time where Moses gets to this place in ministry that he can just hardly bear the burden. Uh, You remember the story, one time his father-in-law, Jethro, tells him, you know, he's got to get help with with leadership. And Moses wrestles with God about the people complaining day and night, and they're tired of manna, and they want to go back to Egypt, right? And Moses says, God, if you love me enough, take me out. God, if you love me enough, just kill me. Well, God doesn't do that. Instead, God said, I want you to select 70 men who you know to be leaders, Moses. So I want to pick up this story because it so helps us understand what, what the significance of what's happening in, in these early chapters of Acts. Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around the tent. Now, that's the tent of the meeting, all right? That's where where God's presence would show up. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied but did not do so again. Let's keep going. However... Two men, they overslept, right, I guess, whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders but did not go out to the tent, yet the Spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp. That's serious business. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. They're not prophesying at the tent of meeting where where God's presence is, right? So Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that... All the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Everybody say all. That's our word today. Moses was like, you think I'm jealous? You, you think I'm fighting for something here? He said, I, 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 wish, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. I wish that all, I wish that God would put his spirit on all of them. But at this point for Moses, that's a wish. That's a hope. It's a prayer. 
But Moses' hope became a specific prophecy. When one of the prophets of God named Joel steps on the scene. And so years later, here's what the prophet Joel had to say. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on, everybody say all, all people. I will, your sons and your daughters, they'll prophesy. Your, Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So what Moses had wished for, now God has spoken on the deal. God has said, this is, this is what's going to be his spirit on all his people. But at this point, when Joel says it, it's still future. Until we fast forward to the text that we get to study today. And man, I don't even know how to tell you how monumental this text is. There's so much stuff in chapter 2. I'm just making the deal with you. We're just going to go back all year, the rest of the year and refer to chapter 2 while we're talking about other stuff. I, I know it. We're just going to go back and get stuff. But I, I want you to hear what it says. Acts chapter 2. Let's start with verse 1. Read a couple of verses here. When the day of Pentecost came. Now let's stop there for a second. Weird word, Pentecost. It means 50. All right. Pentateuch means like five books. Well, Pent, you got it. So 50. Pentecost was a um, feast. It was a celebration. It was one of the three major celebrations that the Jews would observe each year. And it happened 50 days after the Passover. Now, the Passover, you remember, was the story where God's people are in slavery uh, the, God does the miracles, Pharaoh won't let him go. It comes down to where the, 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 the lamb must be sacrificed, the blood put across the door, death angel passes over, and they're allowed to go. That's the Passover. And so after that time, right, every year they would celebrate these feasts. 50 days after the Passover would be Pentecost which was a celebration of what's called first fruits. It was a celebration of the first of the wheat harvest, all right, because what they knew was the first of the wheat meant there was going to be so much more to come, so much more to come. And so every year, this is, so when the day of Pentecost came, here's what I want us to get. This is God's timing on fulfilling a load of Old Testament pictures and prophecy of this day coming. God all the way back has been pointing toward this day. The day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, listen, listen, when they gathered together, they didn't pray the Holy Spirit down on that day. These people didn't jump through some hoops to get the Holy Spirit to show up on the day of Pentecost. This is God saying, today is the day. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. And what I understand about this word wind, it's only found here in one other spot. It is not the normal word for wind. It is a boom. It's a blast. It's a force. There is the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Everybody say all. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The story is that there were people from all different places who were in Jerusalem at that time. They're there for the, for the celebration. They're there for the feast. And God's spirit enabled 
those disciples to, to speak even in a language that was their own language and they knew that these guys are not that smart. <laughs> these guys haven't taken this, this many language classes. They, they know there's something, right, there's something weird going on here. You, you can imagine just the, 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 the uproar that, that is taking place, the, the boom of the, the sound, which I, I think they, they could hear, and then all, all of these languages being spoken. I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, right? Apparently that was one of the accusations. Like they're hearing all these languages and like this is crazy. We can't explain it, so they must be drunk. Like we're not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. <laughs> no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Job. So when you and I are, are, are looking at this text and we're going, what is this about? Like, what is Pentecost about? Well, what did the apostles say it was about? Right? Peter clearly here gives us the answer. We don't have to guess. What, what is, he goes, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy through Joel. Now, here's, here's where I'm going with this. Sometimes there's so much packed into Acts chapter 2 that, man, it is easy to, to, like, jump on this little piece and this little piece. And before you know it, man, sometimes things can get even a little twisted. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because I want you to be prepped. Every once in a while, you may hear somebody turn Pentecost into an argument that this story is a proof of what they will call a second blessing, right? Which many times when it's described, it goes like this. That you can believe in Jesus, but then sometime later, there is actually a baptism of the spirit um, that that in a sense finishes the deal you know completes this deal and and so sometimes I, I'm saying this text is used because what we read in Acts chapter 2 is you got a group of people who obviously they believe by this time that Jesus right it, they, they've seen him rise um, they actually have seen him rise right rose from the dead rose to the heavens. I mean, they, they believe in that sense. And so here they are, and, and now they receive the Holy Spirit. But I, I want us to get the big picture view of what is happening here. Pentecost, this day is a special place in the redemptive history, uh, God's story. Uh, this is not a description of of what happens in every single instance when a person puts their trust in Jesus, comes to know him. We will see it when we go through Acts. It is not about you put your trust in Jesus and then hopefully 50 days later you'll get the Holy Spirit. That's not the picture that we get. In fact, the picture that we will get even today is when Jesus promised. He promised that the church would be born and he promised that we would be baptized in the spirit and both of those things happened at Pentecost. This is a most remarkable day in all of history where the page is turning and God is going. Things are about to change. It is different than it has ever been before. Yes, there have been moments that I would selectively right, put my spirit on this person, that person. But the big picture of Pentecost is now all who believe. All who believe. Luke, I believe with all of my heart, wants us to get that. Luke is a masterful writer. I have studied the Bible for a long time. I've always appreciated Luke, but I appreciate him way more this year as we have traveled through his gospel. 
This dude is sharp. He is strategic. Man, he is intentional. You think he's just putting something down. No, it's, it's, it's purposeful, all right? Now, here's one thing, for example. We read what was called the Great Commission. We read it a few minutes ago, right? You'll be my witnesses. I'll give you power. You'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. When we read the book of Acts, what you will see is that Luke follows that pattern. And so it starts in Jerusalem. And then the story continues as it goes into Judea and, and, and wider and wider. It's like concentric circles. Even as Paul's, Paul's missionary journeys go, you will see it. He writes intentionally. But I also believe that he writes intentionally in another way in Acts. Because there are, in Luke's day, what I'm going to call four groups of people that the question being raised is how do they fit in to this whole thing that God is doing now Jesus has come he died for sin he rose from the dead how did they fit so here's the four groups I just I want you to see this rule uh, there are the Jews all right we, we would go, okay, we expect them to be there. This is God's chosen people. They, they grew up in church, if you will. They grow up getting the commandments. They, they get the law, right? We, we would expect they should fit into this, all right? But still how? Second group were called the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans, the Jews looked at as half-breeds. That's what they would call them, except worse language, all right? They, they were Jews, but in many instances, there were times that the Jews were taken into exile. When that would happen, some of them remained at home. They would intermarry with people like the Assyrians, and all of a sudden, you have a mixture of nationalities. And when the Jews looked at the Samaritans, it was a fight. They saw them as not real people of God. There was also a group of people called the God-fearers. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the fourth one, which is the Gentiles. Because the God-fearers were actually Gentiles, all right? They're not Jewish people, but the God-fearers were people who had converted to Judaism, if you will. They, they believed in God, Yahweh. That they, they were committing to, to following the, the, the laws of Judaism. That They were often called the god fears. So the question becomes for the people of Luke's day, so how do all these people fit in? Because most of them believe there was only one group that deserved to be in. How do they fit in? Well, I believe Luke addresses that first at Pentecost because the majority, we get the picture of those who were there in Jerusalem. They are, they are Jewish people. They were there for the festival. And what we see is that they don't just automatically walk into the kingdom of God. But for those Jews who turn to Jesus and trust in him, as the Savior and as their King, they all receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? But watch this. What about those dirty Samaritans? The story is, we're going to read it. We're going to get to it. Stephen, a godly man, Right, he, he proclaims Jesus, he loses his life for it. And as a result, the church is persecuted. And when the church is persecuted, the church scatters. But when the church scatters, the church doesn't go silent. The church proclaims the good news of Jesus wherever they go. Philip, we're told, goes to Samaria. Philip preaches the good news to the Samaritans, and guess what? They believe. And the people back in Jerusalem are going, can that happen? Can that happen? Check this out. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. 
They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And the emphasis here is is a picture of the Samaritans who believed. It doesn't say some of them did receive the Holy Spirit. Those who believed, they received. Okay. All. All right. But what about those God-fearers? Because even though they try to follow the rules, they're still a bunch of Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, Luke is going to give us the account of Peter who is called to go to a household of a man named Cornelius. And the Bible tells us that Cornelius and his household are God-fearers. Listen to what happens here. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on what? All. All who heard the message, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter. So you got some people, uh, Jewish people who had come with him, right? They're astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Okay, that ain't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to have Jews staying with Gentiles any period of time. After this happens, Peter starts to take some heat from the folks back home in Jerusalem going, come on, man, where does this stop? Are you really telling us that these, these, these Gentiles, right? I know they're God-fearers, but can you really telling us this is what happened? And this is Peter's response. Acts chapter 11, Luke tells us, verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gifts he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? That's a good question. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then. Now this is the people who are all ruffled feathers. So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Are you getting Luke's picture? All the Jews who believe, all the Samaritans who believe, all the God-fearers who believe. Here's my point. The conclusion that those first apostles come to when they see Pentecost is not some big question of a second baptism. That's not what they're discussing. They don't open a chapter on, that's not the point. The conclusion is They are all full members of the household of God. That's the point, which is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It is him placing you in his household. It is him. You are in the family of God. That's what it is. All right, but what about those old non-believing Gentiles, right? Like the ones who... Somehow they don't, they don't know the Bible at all. They've never been to church in their whole life. They, they haven't even heard of who Jesus is. They don't know anything. Check this out. John chapter 19, verse 1, Luke tells us, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior that arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They don't know anything. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on him, on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, 
and there were about 12 men in all. In all. Four people groups that the early church would have wrestled with the question, where do these people fit in what God is doing now? And Luke is very intentional to say, for those who believe, God has fit them all right into his household. The point of Pentecost is that it's not some who believe. Not a select few who are the, the, the religious elite. The point of Pentecost is that all members of the body of Christ are endowed for ministry by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. When I say all, I hope I mean you. Now for those where God has done a miracle in your life, a miracle of new birth, a miracle where his spirit comes to live within you, sin forgiven, a beautiful exchange where he takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness, When he does that miracle in you, giving you life, he comes to live in you. You are baptized in the spirit. You are placed within his household, empowered with gifts to carry out what he has always already told us in chapter one. This is your mission. This is your mission. Take it to the ends of the earth. Let me show you just a couple of more references. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. I think this is one of the anchor verses for why I would argue what I argue today. For we are all baptized, all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. He's saying this is what it is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit Right? It is to be placed within the household. The Apostle Paul continues with that. Ephesians chapter, chapter uh, 5, or chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you know, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I don't want you to miss a part of the picture of Pentecost. If you if you belong to Jesus, he, he lives within you. His spirit in you. But there is also an aspect of it here where he goes, you understand there is something corporate that goes on here too. You are, you are baptized, you, you are placed into his household where together you are the body of Christ. Together you, you, you are one body but many members and different gifts, but together you, you declare his greatness to the world. Pentecost is is about the outpouring of God on all Christians. And if you have been born again by his spirit, then you are gifted and empowered by his spirit for the ministry, for the great commission, that you will take this message to the ends of the earth. Do you remember what God said through Joel? And then he repeated it at Pentecost. I will pour out my spirit on all people Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Students, 
many of you, I believe, would say that you heard from God this last week. Do you realize all that that says about how much God loves you? That he, God himself, would not only be willing to dwell in you, but then that also he leads you to dwell within his household. If God spoke to you this last week, I hope, I hope you don't carry that lightly. And I want to challenge you to, to just to ask the question why he would be willing to speak in that way and what he wants to do with that in your life. Because if God's telling the truth, you don't need to wait for a whole bunch more birthdays to be qualified to walk in the spirit in the power of God. You don't have to wait for a bunch more birthdays. And my challenge to you students is to realize most of you underestimate. You, you underestimate the power that is within you, him. And you underestimate what he wants to show if you would be willing to lean into him, to yield to him, to listen to him, and then follow. Y'all, this is real. This is real. This isn't, this isn't just a story that we're reading about in the first century. It's real. Your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. And for the old men in the room, whew, he's not done with us either. Can you hear him? Can you hear him? young men will see visions. And just in case we, we want to think any games are being played here, men, women, he's saying, come on. This is real. <laughs> because, because he is real. He, he pours out his spirit. And so what do we do with this? We're going to be working on that answer through the rest of Acts. But I want to show you where Peter concluded in Acts chapter 2. Here's what it says in verse 37. When the people heard this, because Peter's just preached the message, and next week I'll help you understand a little more of that message, because another message is going to get preached, and it sounds a whole lot like the first one, because the good news is still the good news. It's going to be kind of the same message. But here's what it says. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the, and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. That means all. <laughs> In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be baptized. Some of you here today, that I'm going to say for the very first time in your life, that is the step that you need to take. Repentance is to turn. It is to turn. It is a change. It is to turn from my sin uh, to, to repent and be baptized is this picture of I'm, I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning from my selfishness, and, and I'm turning to holiness. I am turning to Jesus. This is not just praying a prayer and being dunked in some water. This is not just saying some words and then letting someone dip you underneath the water. This is about a heart, a life that turns and says, look, this, my life, it is, it is changed. It is an ongoing confession, an ongoing repentance. You understand repentance doesn't happen one time with us. It is a life of repentance. That's what he calls us to. It is a life of constantly turning to him, constantly turning away from my sin. I'm, I'm turning to him, and, and I, and I want to walk in this pursuit of, of holiness to be filled with his spirit on a regular basis, not because his spirit ran out. But it is to constantly yield, to constantly desire to be in tune, to constantly be listening, saying, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, I, I acknowledge your presence and I, I want you to, to, to lead me. I, I lean into you for, for everything that, that I need. I, I desire for you to be the, the guide. It, it is leaning in. My question is, is this characteristic of your life? Is this characteristic of your life? For some of you, you are right at the beginning. You have been introduced to who Jesus is. Maybe you've been hanging around here a little while or maybe for a long time. But it has come a moment where you got to do something with this good news of who Jesus is. And whatever step you take, it, it either takes you to him or it takes you one step closer to hardening your heart away from him. And for some of you, this is the time for you to simply call out to him. It's not about the magic words. It's about your heart that says, Jesus, I believe that you are the one who died for my sin and rose from the dead. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I desire for you to be my king. And he will. And his spirit comes to live within you. That baptism is a picture of identifying with him, it is this picture of an old life that is dead, a new life that has been given, and the promise of Acts, the promise of Pentecost, is you are placed within his household, family, fully belonging. Is this, for those of you who perhaps have done that at a time in your life, I'm, I'm asking you, is this the characteristic of your life, leaning into the spirit of God? Because come on, I'm, I'm praying like crazy that God, God, will you grow us up? Will you teach us what this looks like to walk in your spirit every day, to be filled by your spirit every moment, to, to, to know what that is, to completely, like, like I'm a, do you really pray like the spirit of God lives in you? Because come on, if he does, the way some of us are praying does not, does not seem to reflect that we believe that the power of God <laughs> dwells in us. Come on, it should change how we pray. I, I don't mind telling you, I'm praying that God will change how we pray because we begin to realize who he is, his spirit who lives within us, and that we start to pray like we believe that the spirit of God really dwells in us. Like, do you read God's word like you believe his spirit lives in you? Because come on, if he does, 
And he is the one who is bringing that word alive. And are, are you listening for, for what he's saying? Not just reading, right, to, to learn a lesson. There, there's a difference, right? You can, you can learn some truth and you can learn. But believing that he is real and he is, he is living, he is in you, he is growing you up, he is crafting your heart to be more like his, right? Do you serve like you believe that the spirit of God is in you? Because when you do, sometimes... Serving looks like this, right? You are trembling going, I don't know what I, I'm, what am I gotten myself into? But when you believe that the spirit of God is in you and he has led you to such a place, then you will step. It will change how we serve. Do you share the good news like you really believe the spirit of God lives in you and you have been commissioned? From Acts chapter one, this is, this is your this is your mission. This is your plan. Starting at home, take it to the ends of the earth. Do we believe that God's power really resides in us? Do you connect to other believers like you believe the Holy Spirit lives in you? Because if you do, it'll change what your life team looks like. Because this is not just a meeting of people. I mean, it's cool that we like each other. It's cool that we can lean into each other. Um, I, I think I, I would challenge you to realize some of you as life team, back in the day, we used to do an empty chair in life teams because it always reminded us of, the, of another person that needed to be a part. Maybe we need to add another empty chair to remind us that the spirit of God is present. And man, as much as we can help ourselves to, to remember he's present, so, some of y'all have gotten to the place that you think to, to like pray over a meal is like this old-fashioned, like, traditional thing that means nothing. But I'm convinced that sometimes when you pray over a meal, it is reminding you that the Spirit of God is with you always. Providing, preparing, guiding. And some of those habits that you can put in your life, some of us treat these things that I just mentioned a little more like something we work into our schedule than realizing what God actually wants to do is become our schedule. And that in everything we are recognizing his presence, his spirit in us. I want to make sure we understand as we launch this thing, man, this is not about you working hard to prove you have the spirit. It's not. But this is about us working hard to lean into him, right? To walk in his righteousness, to, to, to follow when he calls us to follow, to listen. And come on, sometimes, sometimes would you not, sometimes there is work involved in listening. Because there are some habits that need to be in play. I learned something a long time ago, and this is what I'm going to leave with you today. And I think this is, this is some of the stuff that, that we got to work on. You do not rise to the level of your goals as much as you fail to the level of your habits. I don't even know who said it first, but I think they're right. Many people want to set goals, set goals, set goals, set goals, and we think that if you can set big enough goals that, that you will rise to the level of your goals. No, the truth is you will fail to the level of your habits. I don't care how good your goals are. If you don't have habits in place, you're going to fail. That's the point. And if you've got good habits in place, then regardless of what your goals are, you're going to have a foundation from which you're going to work. I think that is exactly what it's like to, to walk in the Spirit of God. I mean, rather than setting goals of what you want the Holy Spirit to do through you, and don't, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing that, that piece, but I'm saying instead, if we would be more intentional about establishing those habits that allow me to listen and lean in. Those habits in my life that provide that foundation instead of me walking around going, here's five goals that I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will work through my life. Instead, if I've got those habits in place, come on, it's a relationship. And the more that you can listen, the more you can lean in with his power, don't worry about the goals. He'll bring them. He'll bring them. 
God, will you open our heart? <laughs> and God, will you show us who you are? Some of you today need to turn to him. And in the next few minutes, we're, we're going to sing a song. Um, and then even after that, we're going to be around. You need to make your way right over here toward this. You can actually make your way right over toward this cross over here. Some of us will be available. And we need to, we need to talk. We need to talk about maybe taking that step of baptism. Some of you are at that place that it's time for you to say I'm in. For some of us, there's repentance that needs to happen today, though. Maybe, maybe you've belonged in the household a while, but there's repentance because you would say to me today, man, I, there's a reason that I have not really been hearing God's spirit in my life. There's some stuff that I need to turn from. Man, come on. You got somebody you trust in this room. You got somebody you trust wherever you, you, you are today. I want to encourage you to work together. I want to encourage you to fight together. I want to encourage you to pray together. Let's encourage one another. Students, come on. I, this week, you got some stuff going on in your life. I, let's, let's pray for one another. Let's believe that the Spirit of God is real is here and he holds so much power that he brings even dead things to life. God, I'm asking you to help us to believe. For some, today, God, we need to take the step for the first time. I'm asking you to give us courage to call out to you. God, some who are listening online, Maybe some who are in this room, but God, that you would give us courage just from our heart to call out to you, God, that you have been speaking and you have been showing us and we know, we know that you are real. We know that you have demonstrated your love for us. We know the sacrifice that you have made. God, today, will you help us take that step toward you? God, I pray for those who need to take a step of baptism. God, will you give us courage? God, give us faith. God, I pray for those who need repentance today because we may belong to you, but God, there, there is a reason that we have not been able to lean into, to hear, to sense the, the spirit in our life. God, there's, there's some stuff that we need to be honest with you about. God, will you help us to stop pretending And may it be so that for your people, this connection that we have with you is real. And it's in the name of Jesus that I ask it.